0: today is Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1. This is the beginning of the book, the prophet named Daniel. Let's read from Daniel chapter 1, where it says as appearing here and as follows. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, And Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hadaniah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. And therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And these are the words from Daniel chapter 1, the inspired words for us this morning. For you and for me, for us, to live the Christian life, But it means some things. Among those it means, I mean, in the simplest of terms, it means faithfulness to God. Does it not? It means obedience. It means discipleship. It means a bunch of other stuff. Imagine now If one of us then, though, were to say, knowing that, agreeing on that, what if we were to say, you know, I sure would like to follow Christ in the way that I believe people should. And I wish I could, if only only I just didn't have this bad back of mine. Or I, I wish that I could be faithful and obedient the way that we're taught Christians should. But, you know, i got financial problems, brother. So many bills coming and stuff, or else I would. Or, you know, if only I could serve God fully with my life. But man, I got some relationships that are just—they're toxic. And I could go on, couldn't I? Yeah. With some if onlys and what about this? And, and we we hear that we think, yeah, that's that—that did sound right. But what what is it that's wrong, really, with those statements? those statements assume that being a faithful christian, being an obedient christian requires some kind of certain life circumstances. Like something things have to be just so then I can. And the way they have to be it's sort of assumed in those kind of examples is nearly perfect. They got to be better than they are now. <laughs> Put it that way. And while probably none of us would be saying those kind of things that I said just then, out loud, right? I don't think any of us would say that directly. Come into church, go to your Bible study and say this kind of thing to people. I would contend nevertheless, and I'd ask you, let's be honest with ourselves here. I would contend that we sort of think that way a lot more than we realize or will admit to it. I think a lot of us, maybe all of us, have the temptation, have the tendency to think those kinds of things, at least inwardly. And this is why we just can't be everything we wish we could be. The lesson, one of the lessons from Daniel and from the faithful Israelites who got hauled off to Babylon, it's not just that why you can be faithful and obedient, you know, in your calling and in whatever difficult circumstances, you still can be. It's not just that; it's it's more than that. It's that that's sort of the point that that those circumstances are all the more reason why you must. Yes, I mean you need it more than ever because of. Those relationships you're stuck with that you're trying to deal with, because of those financial difficulties, because of those health problems, just to use the three examples I gave, we could come up with more. Those are all the more reason why, as the song we sang earlier, you need him. Oh, you need him. Right? <laughs> Put it in third person, second person. Now, in the third year, as we read of this King Jehoiakim in Judah, life changed, and changed dramatically. For all the people in the city of Judah. What the heck was Judah? Well, Judah wasn't just a city, actually. It was the whole region. It was the kingdom. It was the southern kingdom. Because remember how it split and all that stuff from after Solomon? Remember that timeline? It splits. you got a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Judah was the southern. And at this point, it's the one left. Because the other one, it's already it's already been wrecked by the Assyrians who already came along. And now the southern kingdom comes under this judgment and God sees fit to decide I'm going to give I'm going to give the southern kingdom into the hands of this hostile these invaders who show up. And in that year 597 BC Babylon came with force and conquered them. Conquered them. Now, if we're just being auto biographical here each one of us so probably we could go around the room you could think of times maybe a certain day when you would say your life changed and for some reason or another something happened that you know you woke up that morning not realizing just how different it would be by the end of that day because you don't we don't get to see the, the we don't we don't get to see sort of the the divine uh, Daytimer, if you will, of... Uh, nobody uses daytimers anymore, but you know. We don't get to see God's Google calendar. All right, to know, oh yeah, this afternoon is when that big thing happens that nobody knows is about to happen. I don't know that. You don't know that. So-called prophets pretend to know that. Usually they don't. Only one person truly knows that and knows it perfectly. And the rest of us just get shocked when they happen, when those things happen. And either it's corporate or maybe individually. It could be something... You know all it takes is one phone call if something that happened or some a doctor telling you something and it's a life changer and things can change and they can change on that scale for one for a family or for a nation yes. you guys remember not too long ago now back in old oh, say about February of 2020 you vaguely remember what the lives of all of us were like as we carried on day to day doing stuff like we had always done it. People all over the nation, people all over the world, just do going about their business. Because, you know, like just that had always been. Minor changes here and there, stock market up, stock market down. Just that, gas prices, you know, a few cents here, a few cents there. But then, like that, it all changed, didn't it? It changed fast, and changed wildly, and changed dramatically. It's like, what? No work, no school, no nothing, everything it's shut down. What? We got I'm scared. Who's who's dying? How many? Where? What are we doing here? How's it how bad is it? Does it kill people? Does it not? Is it gonna kill me? What are we doing here? Can I go anywhere? Where can I go? Can I get groceries? Can I no flights? No I mean we just didn't know. We just hadn't been through that kind of thing. It changed everything. You didn't know it though and you know until it happened. These things come along. A week ago a week ago today, really a week ago more or less today The lives of a few million Afghans changed over the course of a weekend and changed dramatically and in some ways pretty horrifically. Now, you can imagine now, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, as their Hebrew names go, all, remember, all young guys at this point. You picture Daniel as the old guy because he lived out all his years, you know, and over there in Babylon. He lived them all out, and we picture Daniel because he's he's such a long-standing and venerated prophet of the Bible. You see him as a as a sort of the veteran, prophetic voice. I see him a little as a little bit older. These guys are young guys. That's part of why they're brought. Why they're brought into the palace. Because they're young and they've got certain gifts or talents that can be used. They figure. We will make these guys Chaldeans, as it said, right? right? They're young enough. And when people are young enough, you can school them for a little while and kind of shape their worldview to how you want. That can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. It all depends on the schooling and the worldview into which you're inculcating people. The Chaldeans had a plan for these young, sort of more talented, brighter Israelites. Why? No? We don't need to waste them. Uh, they don't need to be out breaking rocks in the heat. These guys could serve us in in high capacities. but but these young guys are in a completely different world. They're in a totally different world. They're carried off. You know you have to sort of picture it like uh, you know their their conquest is made, and they're all just marched out of there, on foot across really from far as they know across the known world I mean, they didn't really know how big the world was probably and and it's a long way from home put it that way with the idea that you know we there's a good chance I'll never see this again there's a good chance I'm leaving everything I've ever known for good never to be back and now I got to go to where they talk a different language they worship different gods they do all different things and I'm going to be at best second class. Now, worse, maybe a slave. That's what it's come to for them. And so here they are. Now they might have asked, in light of this image, they might have asked, boy, can we really even be the uniquely chosen people of God anymore now? Can we? Can we still be Israel? Can we still have Yahweh as our true and only God? And, you know in this terrible circumstance we're now in, can we still keep His law? Can we still know His law? Can we still pass it on? Can we maintain His truth, His wisdom, His statutes? Can we still live by that stuff? Is that even possible anymore? That's all changed now. Maybe we can't. Maybe we just go in here and we say, boy, if only, if only. Well, it would have been great. Imagine if we hadn't been conquered, we could have been the people of God, following God, obeying God, living that life. But now, too bad. But what we see from this passage, right from the start of this book, is that young Daniel, it says, would not defile himself. So right from the start, you see that he says no. He seems to think that as dramatically as the circumstances changed, there's no reason why I can't still be faithful to this covenant. I'm still an Israelite. I've still got chosen follower. I'm still a member of this community. I'm, I'm one of the covenant people and I know the law and I've got the law and I know who my God, the true and only God is. Why would I stop now? Why is this going to change? Why am I just going to suddenly swap out to a false God? Because they said so? He's not going to do it. By the way, I think I have an image. I don't know if I... I think I have an image that... Uh, this, is, I like, this is sort of like Sunday school style. You know, when you were a kid, it helped you learn to see the the images, oh yeah, it might have looked kind of like that. All being hauled out of the, out of the holy city, hitting the road. We're not told the specifics, really, uh, as to what, what, you know, Daniel doesn't want to defile himself. He's not going to eat the food and the wine. Why not? What's wrong? What's wrong with this food? you too good for this food and wine? Yes. It, it's not about being too good for it. In a sense, that food and wine is too good for him. You know, a lot of people might have told Daniel and his friends, "You guys, you guys are dumb. You got it good. I mean, you get to be in the palace. You got you're young and gifted enough that you get to live the good life. You got other people out in the fields and whatever. You, they've chosen you. They're trying to inculcate you into palace culture, into Babylonian culture. And part of that is you get to you get to eat the fine food and wine. Hey, you should be happy. Why doesn't he want to? Again, we're not it's not explained specifically there, but the common belief is that a couple of things. there's a good chance that that food, that that meat that meat and wine had both been part of religious ritual offered to idols. And you know that in the Bible this is always kind of an issue. Meat sacrifice. in the New Testament, they're still kind of dealing with the moral question of it. And here, a good Israelite would think, I can't do that. I can't participate in that which acknowledges false gods. Idolatry is, is too important. There's that part of it. It may well have also been meat forbidden in the Torah anyway. Babylonians ate horse. Mm. Anybody? Who's ready for lunch? Huh? Horse. They ate horse. The cloven animal, they, they ate Pig. See, now some of you can get, can get with that. But these were forbidden. These were forbidden in the law. It may have well been that. Daniel, for all we know, he, he may have taken a Nazarite vow too. Not exactly known. And then there's just the general idea, of course, that these conquerors, as we said, they're trying to make these young men different culturally. They're trying. Their, their decision is we will wash out of them and erase out of them the old ways they were taught in their youth when they were kids and they're still young enough that we can still recraft them you know we can we can give them new software and they'll now run on babylonian software they'll have our gods they'll have our religion they'll do things our way and then we can use all their talents and gifts and they'll be like one of us does the world sometimes exert its influence to try to stamp out things you learned before and replace them with new beliefs and change you culturally it's a powerful tool education of a sort indoctrination of a sort propaganda of a sort you know marketing advertising peer pressure all of you know you know you know all of these different factors that play their role and The enemy loves to control the minds of people, and he loves to re-indoctrinate those who had a beginning. We say it from time to time, the the words that Paul says to the young pastor, I know who taught you, I know know where you learned, where you got learned up, right? I know who your mother was, don't let the world uh, wash that out of you. Some people think, oh, Christians are brainwashed. I got news for you. Just about everybody's brainwashed. The question is, who's doing the washing? I mean, everyone has teachers and influences and and things that have trained them. No one comes into the world absent all influences. Purely self-taught, 100%. No influences on me. Anyone who says that simply is ignorant of all the influences on them. (laughs) At least be aware of it. And so Daniel says, and his friends too, "No, we won't." And, and, no, and notice when he says we won't do this, it's interesting as a lesson here too about how he does it. Daniel doesn't try to cause an overthrow of the palace or stick a knife in the king's gut. Or he doesn't quite. He not go full on. He, he said he asks sort of nicely. Can I, you know it's. Sometimes Christians debate the tactics. We've got to stand against. But then there's well, how? How do we do it? You know, there were once upon a time and luckily I don't see a lot of this anymore. Those who were very pro-life. All right. Pro-life. Go pro-life. But they chose a tactic. On behalf of it. That involved plastic explosives. That's not our tactic. That's not pro-life, is it? You see, Daniel could have had a tactic that was different from this, but as long as they're willing to let him, we didn't get to it. But you remember what him and his friends say. I tell you what, let us try, let us eat our diet. If we're still as good, still as strong, how about that? So we'll put our money where our convictions are here. And they did it. And, And so there's a lesson for us there, too resistance doesn't have to be violent it doesn't have to be the overthrow of everything uh, there is a thought sometimes and these are again I remind you again they're young guys and and it's you know it's the habit of the young to have some to have a little fire in the blood and to sometimes think the only way to protest is break stuff and they didn't break stuff they said may we uh, do this this way we you can be civil about it <clears throat> Christians with convictions as all Christians must have in their workplaces <clears throat> in their schools in other circumstances before getting nasty should first should first as in as much as possible in a civil way seek to seek to enact your convictions without it having to become a fight. In as much as it all possible, live at peace Amen. with all men. Uh, if I if we were to see a story of uh, someone with a business and they had an issue about a who goes in what bathrooms and whatever and they took to brawling or they or or when when the discussion came up, pulled out their, you know, Holy Ghost Billy Club and started Smiting people, that ain't the way. Well, the point here, though, is bigger point. The young Daniel, he stayed true. He had lots of reasons not to do it. Circumstances were tough here. And, of course, this was just the start of it. This food business was just the first little inclination of the convictions he was going to have. It gets to bigger things than food and wine, doesn't it? It gets down to, "Hey Daniel, stop praying to that God of yours," and he has to again say, "I'm sorry, I can't do that." Again, he doesn't—he doesn't set the palace on fire. He just quietly prays, in his and unashamedly, he prays. It also comes to those other three friends being told, "Hey, when you hear the sound, bow to our God, or else." and they didn't overnight topple the statue and destroy it they simply abstained peacefully you know i won't do it but talk about some circumstances that might hinder your faithfulness i mean it's nobody likes to be disliked nobody likes to be persecuted in any way shape or form you don't like for people to say a bad thing about you you don't like your reputation to take a hit None of us does. You don't like the online bullies to tell you that you're say this or that about you. You don't like to miss the promotion you might have gotten at work because they know that you're this kind of person and they don't like how you think and you get skipped over. Nobody likes any of that. But how would you like the threat of being thrown to wild and hungry animals? How would you like the threat of being burned alive in a giant furnace? Sort of on a different, uh, in a different genre of persecution we're talking about here. So what about you and what about me? What is, here's a question, what is the circumstance that tempts you to think that you can't really live this Christian life like you wish you could, and like you certainly would, if not for that circumstance? Can you identify it? What is that circumstance? What is it makes you say, man, I would be like 100% disciple. I'd be on the varsity squad, spiritually speaking. I would really be doing it, obeying the calling I have, using my gifts. I'd be doing it, if not for this circumstance. The examples of the faithful here, and not just in Daniel 1, but, you know, of course, we could go on and on with examples those can and those should challenge us. Can you commit to doing this today? What if we could identify, just a few things here, identify whatever excuses those are. Can you do it? Can you, can you hear what's in the back of your mind, the, the excuse making we do? that keep us from really serving, from real obedience, from true faithfulness. What is that circumstance? It hinders uh, your walk, as we like to say. Right? It hinders it. It's an obstacle to you. We we say, oh man, if only, if only. It's made different for all of us. And we've all got them. I don't think I know anybody here who's just walking the perfect rosy path (laughs) with no hurdles, no challenges, no obstacles. I just don't know many people like that at all. In this world, said... Jesus you will have what trouble you will have whatever kind you're going to have trouble so it may not be the same thing but can we identify what is that that stands in our way our circumstance that we think we can't really serve we can't really be obedient and the next thing is knowing it confess it and repent of it a lot of what we could, should do in church every week is some is rep- is to put it in, you know, our own vernacular, repenting, repenting, and plenty of it, because there's always a thing to repent of on a weekly basis, is there not? There's always you might think I repent of the same stuff over and over. Yeah, yeah, that, that, join the club now, and and you will probably continue doing it. But the alternative to that is I stopped repenting of those things, and that's a bad place to be. So we identify that we can confess it the beauty of what we believe and what and what we're promised is is that when we confess he is faithful and just to forgive so we confess it and we repent of it and then you know repentance always entails change and for this may sound just too simplistic but to do better go and sin no more so see it with new eyes Change how you see those challenges of your circumstances and then when you see it differently, maybe we can we can understand better that not only was I not only was I wrong in my internal dialogue to say to myself, because of that circumstance I can't really be the faithful and obedient, consistent Christian I should be. Not only was that wrong, but in point of fact, those circumstances I face that I have that I deal with are the very reason to be committed 100%. I need to be a disciple because of those things. Because I got no other hope to deal with them and overcome them outside of this. All the more reason. It's like saying, man, I would go to the hospital, but I'm just sick. If only I were better, then I'd get on over there. Well, unless your sickness has you so immobilized you can't move, then then, you know, and and we're all here this morning, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough reckoning we do with ourselves. Sometimes you come to church or you read something and you say, that kind of hurts. That's a good pain, right? Sometimes it's amen and then sometimes it's ouch. And that's not wrong. So see it with new eyes. And, and you know, here's a, here's a trick, a thing we can, not a trick. It's, a, it's something we can do to, to regularly put our eyes back again on these examples um, we have exposure to bad examples, don't we? We have plenty of exp- exposure to that. It's not always as easy to get exposure to good examples. There are more bad ones than good ones. So if we didn't, if we weren't intentional about it, it'd be like a 90 to 90 percent to 10 percent ratio of bad examples to good examples. That's just the way that natural life would proceed. It'd be mostly bad examples and a few good ones. So it takes more work on our part to be reminded of the good examples. If all we see are the bad examples, well then a couple of things can happen. I could be weary, I could um, I could grow um, discouraged because, oh my gosh, if nobody's winning and there's no victories. Nobody's victorious. Or, and, or I could also compare myself always to the bad examples, in which case I come off pretty good. I'm not as bad as him. I'm better doing better off than her. So neither of those is the way it ought to be. Good examples. Where would I find good examples? Scripture's full of them, first of all. So one one more reason to, to stay near the word. You see Daniel, you see those young men. They are just a handful among, of course, numerous, numerous examples in Scripture. That they show us that, yes, despite all their hurdles and circumstances, because we're presented with people in Scripture, warts and all, and through some ugly times. If this were a fairy tale, a fake, false fairy tale, it would have written about how Daniel and his friends, you know, put on capes, and it would end like a Marvel story. They superheroically heroically overcame the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar was killed in the end because he's the bad. You know what I'm saying? That's how. It, that's not how this turned out. Because this is real life, and in real life, they got carried away, and they had to live with it. And Daniel had lived his entire life as an exile and as a captive. That's real life, and in real life. You know, you don't wake up tomorrow and dun 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 dun, dun, dun Overcome everything just like that! And credits roll, happy endings all around. And so, good examples, real examples. And they're in history as well. History is filled with examples. We love to talk about some of the heroes that went on. That's good to do. That's good to do. They faced things. That, Tough circumstances. People faced all kinds of things. Good to see how they did it, how they were faithful through it. It's a good. It's encouraging to us. And there are examples right now around us. You look. You can find them. You look. Up, you look to other believers. You know that you look up to. You look to those who serve in different places in the world. You see. You see. Um, you know, church uh, leaders and planters and other they, who sit in a jail cell, willing to suffer that uh, in uh, places around the world. And we've heard people stand in this room and tell us about where they live in the world and where they serve and how they're surveilled and how they're watched and how there's, there's a risk factor about what might happen to them, and they have to kind of look over their shoulder, and they never know what might happen, and it's a tough circumstance. And some of the people who come to their Bible studies come secretly, and some of them, they see them beaten or ostracized or worse. We know this. Those are modern day examples to show us that whatever I'm going through, I mean, it's small potatoes compared to that. And if they if, if they can be faithful, and if they can be obedient, if they, in that, what they're dealing with, I mean, what am I up against here? And finally, to pray for the ability to be strong. Have the resolve to do it, and pray that you can have the resolve to do it in the face of whatever the circumstance is, one or more. Like Paul says, like we heard Pete read earlier, Paul tells the Ephesians, right, in chapter 6, arm yourself. You've got weapons. You were given spiritual weapons. Arm yourself so that whatever evil comes your way whatever circumstance changes tomorrow maybe you will be able as it's as it said in Ephesians 6 to stand your ground and as it says again having done everything to stand Hello, Shalom. Hello, Shalom.